Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 5th, 2017. On today's show, we'll stop by the water cooler. Brad will talk about time traveling to Force Friday. I'll talk about killer clowns from outer space. And in this all-clown edition of the show, we'll be talking about the Crow reboot. We'll be talking about an It sequel. We'll be talking about... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio possibly starring in the Joker origin movie and in uh, the mailbag. We'll be talking about the movies that we've seen the most times in the theater. How many times is the most times you've seen a movie in the theater? We'll find out in the mailbag. This is Peter Serretta and on today's podcast with me are Hoi Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, guys, let's go to the water cooler. Uh, Brad, what have you been up to? By the way, we should say we're recording this on Friday, September 1st, uh, because of the holiday. So uh, last night was Force Friday, and you went, right? Yeah, I did. I went to uh, Force Friday 2, The Reckoning, and I went to Target at midnight. Um, and what's so what's cool Actually, about the it, area— Before you start this, I know I'm interrupting you. I apologize. <laughs> uh, I like to interrupt Brad. But uh, Force Friday 1, two years ago, was kind of a disaster. Like, you showed up there, and 
almost every store I saw or heard about did not have enough stock and was a complete mess after just like, you know, five or ten people got through these stores. So I'm really curious to hear about your experience, Brad, and see if anything has changed. Yeah, so uh, what's cool about the area that I live in is, well, sometimes it's cool, sometimes it's really annoying. Is I, So I live in a central time zone, but I live about... 20 30 minutes away from the time co- uh the time zone line so i if i drive a little bit east i can i end up in some cities that are on eastern time so last night i actually went to a target that was on eastern time so that i could get stuff an hour before anywhere else in my time zone would be would have it available to buy wait so you time so, traveled to get star wars toys i did so <laughs> i i I got there. Uh, there was about forty minutes until midnight. There were only eight people in line in front of me for, for pretty much the entire time that I was in line. After that, only one person got in line after me. And then, right before midnight, a group of like maybe a dozen people all of a sudden came at the same time. And I think that they were waiting outside, thinking the doors weren't open. So they all came in and got behind us just before they let us go to get stuff. And um, it wasn't quite a clusterfuck uh, this year, like it was for Force Awakens. It was it's, it's it wasn't crazy. There wasn't like a rush for toys or anything, but they still had a very limited stock of stuff available. They only had about five of each of the bl- new Black Series figures that were being released. Um, they only had maybe like a couple of the certain Funko Pops, and then other ones like uh, Snoke and. Uh, BBA and some of the other ones they had, they had a little bit more of. Um, they only had like two of the new Black Series land speeders and Ray speeder available. So it was just, it was all very limited stock. And part of me wonders if maybe this is just Hasbro kind of playing it safe because they had, like, they had the, those issues when they did all the big toy releases for the prequels where they just had so many toys left over even after those yeah. big events that I wonder if maybe they're just playing it safe and they're like, let's see what sells first. Then we know what to like have more of as yeah. time goes on. And last time they even had problems, not on force Friday, but after the fact with the, you know, the pegs being warmed by constable Zuvios and other figures of characters that were barely in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So I, fortunately, even though I was the ninth person in line, I actually got everything that I wanted. I got a few black series figures. I got some Funko pops. I got a Lego set. Um, and one of the weird things at, at this, my target, I don't know if this was like a thing that happened at other targets, but some of the brand new last Jedi Funko pops were, had a clearance price tag on them. So I actually got my Supreme leader Snoke Funko pop for $3. That is weird. It was very weird. I want to get the Luke, uh, black series figure. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. Um, I picked up. You picked that up. I did. Uh, HT and Jacob, neither of you went to Force Friday, I assume, right? I did not. I went two years ago, and this is literally right before I joined this last film, so you can actually read about it on Screen Crush if you search for it, where it was a total disaster. So I'm actually surprised to hear that it went pretty well this year for most people. Yeah, I, I went two years ago, and it was a total disaster, and I told myself, never again, but maybe two years from now I will go, because it sounds like uh, they have corrected many of the problems. So uh, last night, instead of going to Force Friday, uh, my girlfriend Kitra has been in the mood to watch horror films, and uh, by the way, why does Netflix suck so much for horror films? There is like no 
I mean, well, there's a couple good horror films on Netflix, but they're really the selection is really poor. Um, so it, it's either you have to buy, you know, buy or rent something on iTunes or I don't know. Like, uh, and we were going through a list and came across Killer Clowns from Outer Space, a movie that I loved as a child, but she had never seen. And um, so, of course, put it on, made her watch it. And by made her watch it, she was like chained up, you know, uh, chained to the couch and and subjected to this movie uh, <laughs> against her will. Um, by the way, this movie is a lot worse than I remember it being. I remember it being <laughs> a lot more fun. Uh, it is fun. I would recommend it to people who have not seen it. But uh, and it, it's really about these aliens who end up being like these weird looking cl- killer clowns that land in a Californian suburb in town and are trying to kill people and turn them in, into cotton candy, I think. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they put them into these cotton candy cocoons, and then I think they, like, drain their blood out of them, don't they? Yes. Yes, that is it's, correct. It's and serious American art, Peter. And their spaceship looks like a circus tent, and uh, they kill people in these creative, interesting ways, like one group of people were killed by shadow puppets um i know this sounds insane it is insane they shoot people with with popcorn with gu- it sounds <laughs> amazing is what it sounds like yes it's, it's a hell of a thing i recommend it i'm with peter here it's worth watching <laughs> it's worth watching i they've been trying to make a sequel to this forever i think they should remake this with a bigger budget i think it could be a very fun reboot uh J- jacob what, what do you think of the film i guess a lot of fun i mean i it, it's from a very specific time and place, the 1980s genre world. And it's all these weird practical effects. It's low budget. It's charming. Uh, it just has this unique vibe you don't see these days. And it, it, if you're the kind of person who collects Scream, uh, Scream Factory Blu-rays, you already know that. But it's, it's worth checking out it, just to be the kind of person who says, oh, they don't make them like this anymore, because they really don't. <laughs> they definitely do not. Brad, did you have a... Is this a film that you liked as a, as a child? When I was a kid, I saw it, and I didn't really know what it was, and it kind of scared me at first. Um, I, I, I don't. It didn't scare me to the point where like I was suddenly terrified of clowns or anything like that, but I do remember at one time having like a couple nightmares fueled by killer clowns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> At the time, I didn't really understand that it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek horror, you know, comedy of sorts. Uh, and so, like, because the, the killer clowns are kind of gross and disgusting. They and are, so for... and, like, their faces, I think, might be, like, stop-motion animation or something, right? It's not animatronics. I, I'm not sure. I actually don't remember that specifically because I haven't seen it in a long time. But uh, So I, I maybe I should rewatch it. Yeah. Um... Although I want to jump in here real quick only because uh, before we get too – before we move on – uh, if you look at Netflix and are having horror issues with it, which you should be because it's terrible, for $5 a month you can download and subscribe to Shudder. It's uh, S-H-U-D-D-E-R, which is a horror-centric streaming service, and it's incredible and worth it. And, I, and I'm just going to shout it out here because I use it almost every week. Hmm. I might have to look into that. Um, okay, let's move on from the water cooler into the news uh, they're still making that Crow reboot, apparently. This is an article that you wrote for the site HD. What do we know? Yes. So after nearly 10 plus years at relative, 
relativity media and then being uh, stuck in development hell after relativ- relativity uh, was went bankrupt, the Crow has been picked up by Sony Pictures uh, for a reboot. And the reboot is going to be called The Crow Reborn. Um, and there is no set star or director yet, although the last uh, team attached to the project was Jason Momoa as the star and Corin Hardy as the director. Uh, so this has had a long and uh, arduous road to the big screen. We'll see if it actually happens because um, when Corn Hardy was attached, it was set to start shooting um, in, I think, January of this year, but that obviously did not go through. Uh, so it has had a revolving door of various stars and directors. The stars included Bradley Cooper, Luke Evans, Jack Houston. At one point, directors like Javier, Javier Gutierrez was attached, as well as Juan Carlos Fernandillo and Stephen Norrington. Um, so this is a remake of the 1994 cult classic The Crow, which was starting, starring Brandon Lee. And it kind of developed this cult following not for not simply for its visual effects and uh, kind of over the top story but for the way that star Brennan Lee died on set he was um, killed after, through a uh, accident with a stunt gun which had incorrectly loaded some um, some blanks for the uh, for the scene but apparently there was still some gunpowder or some sort it was improperly loaded so he was um shot in the abdomen and was and died soon afterwards so it's a story about a man who um ironically was brutally murdered and was resurrected to enact exact vengeance on the people who killed him so that is kind of the morbid um (laughs) connection to brennan lee's uh, really tragic death. Brennan Lee was the uh, son of Bruce Lee. Uh, so there is that fascination with the original film, but I'm not sure why they keep trying to bring it back outside of the people who are interested in it because of that backstory. I don't know if what? there's a huge following for The Crow, although I, that might just be me. I don't think there's a huge following for The Crow, but I think just in a visual sense, like seeing mm-hmm. a guy in that uh, what is it like a trench coat with like the the white makeup on his face and like I know it's been copied in like in pro wrestling by Sting and like, I don't know it's just a very visual thing that I think everybody remembers and recalls and uh, it seems like Hollywood is just willing to uh, you know grab onto anything that has some kind of recognizability. Uh, Jacob, it is quite stunning. I was gonna say, Jacob, do do you want to see a Crow remake? Uh, I mean, I like the one the original movie just fine. I've never actually read the comic on which it's based, and I've been writing about this movie for as long as I've been writing about movies on the internet since 2009. I've been writing damn crow reboot articles, and every single time I write about it, some commenter or someone on Twitter says, "Oh, the original comics are really good," and they think they should stick to that. It's a different thing. Hmm. So, for all I know, there's some, some unmined brilliance in the original comic book run that I've never read. Yeah, and um, according to the sources to The Hollywood Reporter, this Crow reboot is supposed to hew more closely to the original comics on which they're based. So they might it might be uh, another sensation of clowns sleeping in the nation. Not clowns, but sort of clown-like <laughs> makeup. People would... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's clowns, but... Clown enough. 
Okay. Uh, moving on uh, from that to another clown, the uh, the It movie uh, director Andy Muschietti uh, plans to make the It sequel before he makes Robotech. Uh, we just assumed that he was going to go on to Robotech right away, but it looks like he's going to be making the It sequel first. Jacob, you wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Well, we know that a few weeks ago, Andy Muschietti was hired by Sony to adapt Robotech, which uh, I'm not particularly familiar with it, but it sounds all it's a animated series from the 80s, a giant robots fighting aliens, pretty, pretty much the kind of big budget franchise starter Sony needs right now. Yeah, and, and, it's, um, and it's also like one of those things where it was like a Japanese anime that we kind of, uh, you know, took and made our own into our own story, I, th- I believe, it's Robotech. It's the American way, Peter Sreda. Yes. But uh, <laughs> but what's interesting is speaking with the Italian film outlet Bad Taste, uh, roughly translated, thanks to some really shoddy internet um, translators, it, it's clear that he says that it too is my priority and he will make <laughs> Robotech afterwards. And this actually aligns with our set visit to it. When I visited the set last year, and we talked about this in the podcast before, both Andy Muschietti and his sister, producer Barbara Muschietti, both made it very clear they were already thinking about the sequel. They they all they said that this, this movie stands alone. This movie adapts one half Stephen King's book and ends on a way so that it could be its own movie. But they wanted to, uh, the sequel to, to quote to paraphrase uh, Andy Muschietti to have a dialogue with the original ones. So they already are planning for certain things to echo one another in both movies, and they talked about that. And said that um, the this movie does end with a suggestion of a sequel, if not a cliffhanger. And they even talked about how various flashbacks that are seen throughout the original novel of it uh, that, that showcase how Pennywise the Clown or the entity known as It has been terrorizing Dairy Maine for centuries. A lot of those flashbacks may actually end up in the sequel, uh, which follows the same characters as the original as the first movie thirty years later as adults. So. I'm not surprised by this news at all. Um, I think that Andy Muschietti is happy to, to take on more things. I was quite happy to get busy. But he seemed raring to go on the It sequel last year and seemed already be thinking about it. And with the It box office tracking looking amazing, with the first reviews or the first reactions being very positive, I, I think he, he realizes that the best thing to do now is just to get this, pull the trigger and get the sequel going right away. Especially since he also indicated on set that he wants to shoot additional scenes with the kids from the first movie uh, for more flashbacks, and he doesn't want them to grow old. He wants to get done fast. That so I'd sense. say second weekend after it comes out, I'd say listen for the sequel announcement. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah, and the buzz for the the first film, the the critical buzz is you know way up there. If the movie is doing it does as well as what it's tracking for, it uh, you know the sequel will move forward for sure. Um, also on the site. Because we're in what I mean, I, I know we were doing Bond Watch, but I think we're in like day twelve of the Joker Watch. Every day we have a new story on this Joker origin movie. Now the story is Warner Brothers wants Leonardo DiCaprio to lead the film. Brad, you you wrote the article for Slash Film. What do we know? Yeah, this concludes the all clown news hour. Um, so the Hollywood Reporter ran a story today uh, saying that a big part of the reason that Warner Brothers is bringing Martin Scorsese in as a producer on this movie 
is that they want him to uh, convince Leonardo DiCaprio to take the lead role as the Joker. They have their sights set on him to play the Clown Prince of Crime, and apparently that's what they're hoping for. Uh, at this point, there's no offer out to him. There's no negotiations taking place. It's just a pipe dream on their at, uh, on their behalf, and. Apparently, Martin Scorsese's deal to produce isn't even closed yet, so there's a chance that he may end up not even being part of this movie at all. And um, we we don't even know when this movie is supposed to get off the ground yet. Apparently, Suicide Squad Two is still happening, and that's supposed to be, you know, the priority at Warner Brothers. But it sounds like that's probably not going to get off the ground until sometime late next year when they start shooting. So we won't see that for a while, and I can't imagine this getting off the ground before that. Um, but at the very least, Warner Brothers, you know, has a big appetite for what they want this movie to be. This kind of lines up with what Peter had said before about Warner Brothers wanting to make this kind of awards-driven uh, crime thriller, gangster-esque movie in line with Martin Scorsese's previous work. So if they get someone like Leonardo DiCaprio involved, that might be something that gets people interested in a Joker origin story. Uh, we talked about him but we all uh when we were doing our casting of our own of who could play him but we all thought he was probably too old because he's uh 43 i think now yeah and if this is an origin story you would think that the joker would need to be young because they were talking about casting somebody younger than jared leto so i don't know i mean leonardo DiCaprio does and always has had a baby face so he looks younger than he is even now but i'm just not sure that he's young enough to play this role and i also feel like it's not the most exciting. It's, it's vaguely interesting because he does great work with Martin Scorsese. But I feel like we already saw what a Leonardo DiCaprio role as the Joker would be like with his insane performance in Django Unchained. Uh, I know that's more of like a, you know, a, a southern Joker, if you will. But he was pretty off the, uh, the wall in that movie. And I, just, I feel like he, there's not really much more he can do to make this character interesting. But... Then again, I mean, he did eat raw bison in The Revenant, so who knows what he would do for this. <laughs> I, I just don't see Leonardo DiCaprio at this point in his career be interested in this kind of franchise work. It seems like he has the capability of doing anything he wants, including very interesting, you know, projects that are like, you know, the stuff that actors dream to do. Why go to Warner Brothers and, and do a Joker movie? Uh, I wanted to mention a uh, slash film reader and uh, one of my friends, John Armstrong, tweeted at us. Uh, I wanted to re- read his uh, tweet. Great actor, but no Batman in in a Joker movie. Uh, having a Joker movie, sorry, having a Joker movie with no Batman doesn't work for me. Joker is best when his origin is in some way a result of Batman's actions, either indirectly Dark Knight or directly Batman eighty nine. It doesn't work for me in the Gotham TV show or the comics, so I find it hard to believe that a film would be any different. Um, so that was his uh, series of tweets. Um, I just want to bring that up because I think we've all said our opinions on this Joker movie, and I, I, I thought that was an opinion that um, we have not said. Uh, we, we have talked about how a Joker origin story would would uh, kind of get rid of the mystery of that character. And I, I think this that's actually very interesting that, you know, Joker does work best when, you know, he is a in some way a reflection of Batman and Gotham. Jacob, do you have I any ha- thoughts? Or Brad? Uh, yeah, I, 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 that's my whole 
thing about this is I agree with John here. Even though I don't necessarily think Batman needs to create Joker, Joker's whole reason for existing is to counteract Batman. It's almost a love story in a weird, sick way where everything the Joker does is, can I get Batman's attention? And, that's, and even though I've, I've said my issues with Frank Miller in the past, but one of my things I love about The Dark Knight Returns, his 1980s comic book masterpiece, is that when Batman retires and vanishes, the Joker slips into a coma and only wakes up when Batman unretires. <laughs> so I, I feel like one without the other doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think they're intrinsically tied. I think the best part about Batman's rogue vi- ro- rogues is that they are all some sort of twisted reflection of his own psyche and the Joker being the most obvious and most uh, infamous one. So I can't imagine a Joker on his own or being very interesting on his own without Batman because he is more interesting when he's bouncing off the stoicism that is Batman. Okay, now let's get to the mailbag. Chase D from Cincinnati, Ohio asks, are you guys fans of seeing a movie more than once in theaters? If so, what's the movie that you've seen the most in theaters and how many times was it? My record, according to my parents, was seeing Jurassic Park a crazy 17 times at age five, plus the one time I saw it re-released a few years back in 3D. Anybody close to 18? Do I have a problem? Brad. No, oh does, God, no. Does Chase have a problem? Uh, I don't think he has a problem. I mean, if you're going to see a, a movie that many times in theaters, it might as well be Jurassic Park when you're five years old and love dinosaurs to death. So I, I don't. I think that's totally fine. And I definitely see movies multiple times in theaters. Um, most of the Marvel movies I've seen twice. Usually, I see them on opening night with friends, and then uh, I usually see them with my my parents sometime after that. Um, I, so the, but the two movies that I had seen the most for the longest time were X2 X-Men United and the Matrix Reloaded, uh, both came out in the summer of 20 or sorry, 20, 2003. And I was working at a movie theater at the time. So I was getting free tickets and it was really easy for me to go see those movies over and over again because it didn't cost anything. Um, but then those two, so those two were tied at five times each. I saw them in theaters. Uh, I'll use this as a quick opportunity to defend the matrix reloaded because I think the matrix reloaded is a fantastic sequel. It's only marred by the fact that the matrix revolutions doesn't follow up and create a fitting conclusion to make the matrix reloaded feel complete since they were shot back to back, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but then when star Wars, the force awakens came out, that beat my record because I actually saw that six times in theaters. My earliest memory of seeing the movie multiple times was the first Toy Story. And I think I saw it at least four times in theaters, maybe six. I was young. My mom was in the Air Force. It was playing at the military Air Force Base Theater where tickets were super cheap, like a God, dollar each maybe. So we just went and saw it a couple times as, as, it, was, as it kept getting held over week after week after week because people kept on packing in that theater. I'll, I'll never forget seeing that so many times. But in my adult life, uh, probably the most memorable movie I saw multiple times because because of circumstances. When I was in college in Savannah, Georgia, I didn't have a car. I had to literally take public transportation, uh, a bus, across the city to go to the movies. I went and saw Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Then I went back to my dorm, thought very long and hard about that movie, thought... I think that movie's a masterpiece. I'm not sure. 
The next day, I got on the bus again, went all the way across town again, and saw it again. And then a couple of days later, I saw it a third time. Uh, and even though I've seen movies multiple times years before, it's the only movie I've taken a bus across the city three times in order to see. And then I tied it with Mad Max Fury Road, which I saw three times because it's that good. But that was when I had a car and we could drive to a theater. So There Will Be Blood will always be the special crown champion in my brain. Um, for me, I would say, you know, I don't see movies a lot in the theater multiple times, or, or at least not to the, the, the extent that Chase does. Um, I remember, like, definitely the Star Wars prequels, at least uh, Phantom Menace, I think I saw five or six times in the theater. Um, and I remember loving it, even on the five, the third, sixth <laughs> time. Uh, the uh, the Star Wars re-releases, uh, the special editions, I remember seeing multiple times. Uh, and I, in Star Wars: Force Awakens is the latest one I saw. I want to say six times in theater. Uh, Jurassic Park I saw multiple times, but nowhere near the amount that Chase is saying. And I, I think for me, on a regular basis. I'll end up seeing movies at Sundance or at a film festival that I'll bring my friends or my girlfriend and make them go to the theater to see it when it comes out. Like Ingrid Goes West, I've seen two times or, you know, like those kind of things. Brigsby Bear, saw two times. Um, And definitely the Marvel movies tend to be like one of those things I see at a press screening and then I want to go with my friends later on. So I've seen, you know, the guardians movies two times or Avengers movies two times, uh, but not really, um, not 18 times, 18 times is a lot. How about you HD? Yeah. I've never gone even close to 18 times. Uh, the movie I've probably seen the most was, uh, Aladdin when I was young uh, another movie I don't remember the exact number of times I went but it was at least four or five times and I remember, I remember being so obsessed with it um, not only making my parents to me, take me to go see it but also whenever I had a babysitter I'd be like hey do you want to go see it, Aladdin and uh, I, that's how I saw it so many times in theaters after that I haven't seen a lot in theaters just because I have to pay for my ticket now so it's the movie tickets are expensive. So uh, the recent ones that I've seen in theaters, I remember watching Tangled several times in college because I adored it. And I didn't understand why no one else was talking about it. So I'd make my roommates and my friends come to go see it with me. And I saw that one at least three times in theaters. Um, Mad Max Fury Road was another one I saw several times just because it was such an experience. I need, and I need to unpack it every time I, I saw it. There are so many things um, I could pick up after two or three viewings. And then this year I saw Wonder Woman three times. Um, one, two, uh, one by myself, another one with um, my friend, and then another time with my family. So it was, yeah, I think, yeah, three is my average, but Aladdin was the one that I had the most. You mentioned money, and this makes me wonder, like, do we do this less because movies cost more? But then I think, like, back to my teenage years, I had less money, and I spent more of it on movies. Um, And and then one part of me wonders, like, is it we have less time now than we did uh, when we were younger? Um, I know... It's because we're boring adults now. (laughs) We're boring adults. Yeah, that's probably the case. I remember, like, you know what? I watch more movies multiple times at home than I think I do in theaters. Like I remember I never saw David Fincher's Fight Club in theaters and I uh was very late to the to the club on that one. I 
was working at Best Buy, and that movie came out on DVD. And uh, for some reason, I saw the DVD, and DVD has like this had this book in it that had like all the review quotes of the movie, mostly you know bad things being said about it. It was it's so genius, and it made me want to buy the movie, even though I it just seemed like this you know. I don't know the, the the trailers didn't suck me into it, but uh, so I saw I I bought the movie on DVD and I remember seeing the movie at home. I watched it once, and then that DVD has four different commentaries. I watched all of the commentaries in that twenty four hour period, and then rewatched the movie. So I I, I watched the movie six times in one day. Um, wow. Yes, uh, but I, I, commentaries are different experiences. Yeah. You know, it's I can't beat that, but I did watch LA Confidential four times in two days when I first watched it. Yeah. And but but not but six times is crazy. You, you win. <laughs> is there any movies on home video that like you'll like keep on TV in the background? I know Brad does that, but uh oh, either yes. of you Yeah. Um Spirited Away was my laundry movie. I've seen it so many times that whenever I was doing laundry I would just put it on the background because I had memorized basically the entirety of the movie. Um and then a movie that I'd seen so many times that I got that I was obsessed with was a uh, Phantom of the Opera that I had on DVD. And I'd watch it so many times that I was like, I'm bored. I'm just going to watch it with in French audio for some reason because it <laughs> had the French audio as well. And I was like, this sounds like a fun experience. So I watched it the entirety in French. <laughs> so, yeah. What we do in the shadows is my background movie. I put that thing on and it's, and it's just comfort food. I, I, I It's on maybe twice a week at this point even if i'm not paying attention i'll be able to just pause work look up laugh a moment look back down keep going and that movie just lives forever for me see i have a problem working and having you know uh movie sound on in the background so if i ever do do it i have um the movies on muted so you're just seeing the visuals like kind of in the background and i, I would say to anybody that's listening that's an aspiring filmmaker or even screenwriter um Try sometime watching one of your favorite movies without sound and seeing how much the visuals move along the story and how how visual some of the storytelling is. And uh, I think that's something that you can it's easy to miss when you actually do have the sound as stupid as that sounds. Um, Yes, it's not stupid. Movies are a visual medium, so it's another experience to see them from just solely that. That's why everyone needs to watch silent movies. I mean, uh, even if you think they're going to be old and boring and you're incorrect, you can learn so much from what those movies are telling you and, and how they work. Because by the time sound came around, those silent movies are using almost no no titles. I mean, they're almost they've got they got down to a science. They only used uh, dialogue titles when they absolutely had to, and that's a ninety eight percent of the best movies from the late twenties are just entirely visual. It's beautiful, and and if you think. They're boring. You need to do some homework because this, this is a future column, I think. A future yeah. article <laughs> slash film. Uh, the sound movies you should watch if you think sound films sound boring. We, we, uh, should, we should do that. I mean, I'd recommend starting with Buster Keaton, I would, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyways, to submit questions to the mailbag, send them to peter at slash film.com. We read every email. So, uh, you know, send them to peter at slash film.com and uh, please mention your name, general geographic location, in case we mention your question on the air. All three of these people you can find on slash film.com. Jacob Hall, you can find on Twitter at Jacob S. Hall. HT, you can find on Twitter at H. Tran Bowie. And Brad Omen, you can find on Twitter at Ethan 
underscore Anderton. And uh, he has a podcast, uh, Go Flix Yourself. HT has a podcast called The Millennial Falcon. Uh, both are found on iTunes. Uh, you, this podcast is published Monday through Friday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please spread the word. Uh, tell your friends about us. And uh, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps. Um, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.